Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am Joel here with my dad. And I'm Rick. Hey, Dad, so we, we had an interesting discussion the other day that we thought would make for a good podcast. Um, you know, we live in an interesting time, interesting country where we have the Second Amendment. Uh-huh. And uh, we, we've had so many church shooting late, lately that many churches now have these security teams. Right. Which, that's an interesting conundrum. I sure think it is. Because there's so many verses where Jesus says, if somebody's trying to take something from you, just give it to them. Right. Yet... The balance of that is, as a pastor, you really are responsible for protecting your flock. Now, is that just spiritual protection? Does that include physical protection? Would you be reckless to not have some sort of security if you're just a sitting target there? Yeah. So uh, let's talk about armed guards at church. And then not only that, but armed guards that are willing to take someone out who's coming to essentially persecute the church. Would Jesus... Have armed guards. Would Jesus have armed guards? Who would greet you at his church? That's an interesting question. You know, I've been watching The Chosen, and uh-huh. it's so interesting how so many of the guys are like, Jesus, should we take up and fight him? And he's like, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were ready to go for it, man. Oh, a couple Peter of them. did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Lopped off that guy's ear yeah. there and they came to arrest him. And he's like, hey, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So you go, wow, what are we supposed to do with that? And what's double weird is just before that, he has asked them, do you have a sword? And Peter said, yeah, we got two. He goes, that's enough. Well, but then when he used it, I mean, they weren't to cut the bread with it. What that's were they true. supposed to what do? What was that statement about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure somebody can put in the comments below, give us explanation of that. But he asks them, do you have a sword? Yeah, he does. Uh, and then Peter says, we have two. Was that after he said, I've come to beat your plows into sword, sword, sword swords plowshares? I think that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so there, yes, thing it he was said, after it. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I think that's Isaiah. All right, so what's give me the answer on this. Well, it it was quite a question to me. And fortunately, I wasn't pastoring at the time, so I didn't have to worry about it. We never had armed guards at the church, you know. We just had a guy with a big club in the back, you know. Right. No. Uh but I, you know, I thought about it and for a long time I thought, man, that just doesn't seem right, you know. Come on into church and if you give us a hard time, we'll shoot you. Um, well, it's also I mean, it's more than that. It's coming in somebody come doing trying to do damage and kill people. Yeah. Uh, that's just sending them home to be with Jesus early, so all. And wouldn't it be God's will if it, if that, anyway, we won't get into that. I finally came to a piece on it when I, I was reading a book by a fellow who, uh, he was a missionary in some, uh, still is, I think, in some very, very rough areas, war-torn areas. And it always the thing that had always gotten me was love your neighbor as yourself, you know, uh, turn the other cheek. And I thought, well, you know, how do you turn the other cheek? Uh and how do you love your neighbors yourself if you're going to shoot him if he comes in, you know? But the deal is, if I love my neighbor, okay, so I love my neighbor as myself. Somebody's breaking into my neighbor's house. Can I just stand by and watch that happen? No. Yeah. If I really love him? Or am I going to have to do something about that? Because I love him. Right. And so w- there's the neighbor. Um, and then turn the other cheek. That's that's like a, a, if you get slapped that's an offense that's a that's a humiliation it's a lot different than somebody shooting up your family so do i have to stand by and let them shoot up shoot up my family or attack my wife and then say well here take my daughter too uh is that turning the other cheek and i i began to realize mm. that that turn the other cheek is talking about an offense if somebody offends you calls you a bad name or even slaps you that's not life-threatening. I mean, I don't care how hard they slap you. It's not life-threatening. It's just humiliating. And that's where he says, 
don't stand up for yourself in a humiliation. Which the next thing he says, if somebody asks you to carry your pack, that's a humiliating thing. The military, yeah. the Roman officers could ask someone to carry their pack for them. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, I've never heard that before. That's new stuff from you. Dad. Well, it was from me too. New content. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. got it from somebody I else. I thought I knew everything in your brain, but yes. <laughs> Every now and then I read something and something yeah. new comes in, you know? So, so you're saying that doesn't necessarily apply across the board, but what, what about do not resist an evil man? Uh, let's stop the that. tape a minute and think that yeah, one over. Because <laughs> he says that too. He says, let's, he says, don't resist an evil man. But again, the idea of that loving your neighbor too is the idea of, I have a responsibility to care for my neighbor. I have a responsibility to care for my family. And as a pastor, there is a responsibility to care for your people. Right. I would say Fisk as much. All right. So let's look at that. So reta- it's under the heading retaliation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they put for the ESV. Uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Okay, so that precedes this, this idea of offense. And if anyone sue you and take your tunic, let him also have your cloak as well. Also offense or someone trying to take something right. from you. It's, it's not like taking your life. Right, it's, it's not taking your life. And if anyone out. forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who borrows from you. So you're right. There's no reference in here to say- Life uh, and death sur- situations. Yeah, and and that that is, I mean, that's where it gets tricky sometimes because a lot of this faith we believe and what love looks like is very nuanced. We want it to be very black and white. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm convinced, again, something I talk about in the book, Connecting the Dots, that there is no formula. There's only revelation. Yeah. We want to have some sort of a filtered algorithm. We can stick it in the algorithm and see what the answer is. Yeah. But love requires nuance. And sometimes God will say, I need you to go along with this person. Go ahead and carry the pack there for them because, um, yeah, again, he says, if they ask you to carry the pack example, but there's going to be some times where love looks like, yeah, I'm not going to bail you out this time because love is letting you reap the yeah. benefits of your decisions. And that's where it gets really, well, it's, yeah, I'd, I'd much prefer a formula. Yeah, I, but, but that's where it's really nuanced here because we get this kind of blanket idea of that, like, well, you're just supposed to be a total pacifist. Yeah. And um, I read a book by uh, uh, Tolstoy. He said that, he, he, why he's a pacifist. It's called The Kingdom of God Within You. But he had some kind of flawed arguments in there that were kind of resigned, just pure resignation instead of like standing up for what was right. Because sometimes you do have to stand up for what's right. And yeah, so it's, it's nuanced. It's not a formula. If, if you truly love, there are going to be things that you will hate and that you will attack. If I truly love my wife and you start going after my wife, mm. I'm not going to stand by and go, well, I got to love you too, brother. So I'm not going to resist you. No, I love my wife. And if you go to her, you're going to be coming through me. Well, love always requires prioritization. I mean, that's what boundaries are. Boundaries are prioritized love. That's a good way of putting it, huh? Yeah. It's like, hey, look. You don't, well, I'll never, I'll never forget that one time uh, we were at the house and uh, I'll never forget where I was standing. It was standing between the kitchen and the, the living room in Covey Lane. And I was yelling at mom and you walked in and you're like, Hey, that's my wife you're talking to. Do not ever talk to her that way. Uh, you'll all, you, something is something effective. She's going to be with me longer than you will. <laughs> and I was <laughs> Especially like, Especially if you keep acting that yeah, way. Right. <laughs> And I remember it was kind of reassuring to me because I'm like, whoa, dad loves mom way more than me, but prioritized love. Like you loved me, but I wasn't going to get away with talking to somebody else you loved that way. It was, it, that's what, and that's what boundaries really are. Some people look at boundaries as this way of keeping people away, but it's prioritizing love. You can't give everything to everyone. 
And yeah, so wow, we're just really going deep here into all yeah. sorts of green. But that that's what that's what I, I take it as. And what you're saying is yeah. love really requires um it's essentially paying attention to what's actually needed in the moment. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I just another passage that talks about doing good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith. Mm-hmm. And so they're like the first priority, your brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so if someone is coming to attack those in the family of God, I have a responsibility to do what I can to stop that, or I'm not really expressing love toward them. It's the same thing with Jesus. I mean, he came and gave his life for us. Yeah. And no greater love has any man than he'll lay down his life for another. And so therefore I'm willing to even risk my life for the sake of those that I love and those I care for. And that's one of the, hopefully that never happens, but if that's the way it has to be expressed, then that's the way it has to be expressed. You know, on this pacifism thing, I remember hearing, I wasn't alive then, but during World War II, uh, a pastor who was alive told me this, that there, there were those who claimed to be pacifists during the war so that they wouldn't have to be, be drafted and go into World War II. And one of the questions they would ask him at the, at the draft board is, let me ask you this, if, um, if someone were attacking your mother or your sister or your daughter, would you step up to defend them? Mm. And most would say, well, yeah, of course then you're not a pacifist. You're just not willing to defend somebody else's mother or wife or daughter. Ah, uh, wow. So it's it's a difference. <laughs> it's that prioritized love again. Yeah. yeah. But the guy who would say, yeah, I'll just stand there and watch him rape my mom and kill my sister and whatever. Boy, you're truly a pacifist and probably a coward too. So there are some people I really respect uh, that are they would say they're truly pacifists. Like the the friends, uh, the Quakers, yeah. they, they would say they're... They're truly... The, and the Mennonites, many, many of them, not all, but yeah. yeah. So is that... And there are, <sighs> well, you know, what was it? Hacksaw Ridge or... No, it's another one. What was that last? Oh, that movie about that guy that wouldn't take a gun into... Yeah, so yeah. I think he was 70 Advance, right. I think. Yeah, and there were still ways he could serve. But of course, a true pacifist would say, I am still helping the cause. I know, that's where it's so tricky. But at any given point, there's going to be evil you're, you're aiding and abetting. Yeah. At any given point. There's no way to around that. Yeah. And so thank... <laughs> Because that's the other thing. It's like the reason you can be a pacifist is because there's somebody out there who's not being a pacifist. Yeah. Somebody who's willing to take the risk and be on the front line so that you can sit back and complain and grumble. Wow. So I, I didn't realize this was going to take this turn, but essentially pacifism, yeah, that may <laughs> not be. I could, I'll tell you, when I read Leo Tolstoy's book, uh, uh-huh. The Kingdom of God is Within You, he made some really valid arguments up until the point that he said no government should should uh, defend or like the, the government should not um, stand up against tyranny. See, and I'm yeah. like, wow, okay, this is where he got it wrong because there's some clear indications in the Bible that Romans, Romans, I think it says, it says that God established authorities yeah. for the execution of justice, and when they don't execute that justice, people it says when the justice isn't executed, people run rampant. Yeah, and the government is established. I think it's Timothy to. Uh, or tied to reward those who do right to punish those who do wrong. And that's where I think we get in a big trouble. I used to have a real hard time with the, when Jesus said, now you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, and I'm going, no, 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 we hadn't heard that said. You said that that's, that's in the Bible. How can you say you've heard it said until I realized, I think to read that you need to say, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was how in the Old Testament, this is what the government is to do. But I say unto you, 
you as an individual, you don't do that. You don't take an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You turn the other cheek. You express forgiveness. But you sure better not let the government do that. Right, which the code, that came from the Code of Hammurabi. That was the original document. That The Code of Hammurabi is eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It was the, kind of the original law code. They found that in the you know, Sumerian law. So that has been the code of what a government's there to do. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and a government is required to do that for the protection of its people. Right. So, and this is where it's interesting. Boy, we're going really big, big politics stuff here. Because really, when a government can't uh, defend, that's the beauty of the Second Amendment in many ways, is that it allows people the freedom to defend themselves yeah. with, with a weapon. Well, because again, even at the fastest police response, if you live across the street from them, you may not be able to call them in time. Yeah. And they may not be able to get there in time. Well, and I mean, even, even yeah, even now today with where they can geolocate you and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where if, if somebody's in a church shooting them up. Um, you're like, hey, by the time they show up, the guy's probably going to have leveled the whole church. Yeah. Um, or done more damage than he would have if there was somebody there yeah. who could put a stop to it. So what would you say to someone who's, we, we knew a guy that was in the military and he really became a conscientious objector to violence, right? To, uh, and, and he had to step, did he resign from the military? What did he, what did he Don't do? Rodney? Uh, no, no. Oh, did Rodney do that too? Well, we have a friend who, he was an MP and uh, they gave him one bullet, and, but he couldn't use it. It's kind of a... Oh, no, we, we had a friend that was kind of wrestling with that. He was a pilot in the Navy, I remember. Mm. And he came to you and said, I'm, I'm actually thinking I'm maybe a pacifist. And do you, do you know what happened? Did they let him out? I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what happened to that. But, I, you know, that was one of the questions I had because when we were pastoring, we had a whole bunch of people in the military. And so I thought, is it okay to be in the military? And then you realize John the Baptist... The soldiers, Roman soldiers, pagan, evil, Roman soldiers oppressing God's people, came to him and said, what should we do? And he didn't say, well, get out of the military. He said, where is that? I don't remember that story. Eh, it's in one of the gospels because he was talking to John. And he said, don't cheat people. Be satisfied with your wage and, and don't cheat people. Don't bully people. Don't, um, don't take bribes, as it were. Really? Yeah, he didn't say get out of the military at all. Are you sure this is in the Bible I read? Oh, um, there it is, Luke. All right. Oh, no, you can't. Luke, huh? Yeah, Luke. Yeah, read three, that to Luke us. 314. Wow, this is, okay. Boy, this is what you get when you don't prepare for a, a, a thing. We go all over here. I love <laughs> but it. But you get all kinds of surprises. All right. John the Baptist prepares the way. And the crowds asked him, what shall we then do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics to share it, uh, with him who has none and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what do we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Of course, the tax collectors work, working behalf of the Roman government were known for being corrupt. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with fire. So is this, um, but is this still old covenant? Because I mean, Jesus hadn't truly showed up yet. Well, let's go to the New Testament. Who was the first Gentile? Mm. Yeah, Cornelius. The yeah. first Gentile to receive the baptism of the Holy and Spirit. And he was a soldier. He was a soldier. He was a centurion, over a hundred, at least a hundred other soldiers. Well, you think of the guy that blew Jesus' mind too. One of the guys that's like, man, I've never seen faith like this in my own people. And he's like, yeah. this, this soldier recognizes all I got to do is say the word and this 
I'm, just say healed. the word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jesus never rebuked him, never said, well, you know, if you really want to get it right, you got to get out of the military because you got to quit oppressing my people. You got to quit. He recognized it. Well, and, and Paul talks about he who bears the sword doesn't bear it in vain. In other words, the policeman who's bearing that gun, he is my representative to right. execute judgment on those who do wrongly. Which is why, why is why it's such an abomination when those who are called to do that don't execute justice yeah. and let the and, and let injustice run rampant. I mean, it's such an abomination because you have been gifted this specific call from God. I mean, it's a calling Responsibility of, God of ministry. Yeah. To, to bring order to society. And when you don't do that or use it for your own advantage, uh, you got you got a heavy weight on your shoulders. So to bring that back around, we have like two or th- we have like the government that got established. We mm-hmm. have the family that got established and we have the church. These are three authority structures that got established. So in the church, again, you have that authority, the pastor, much like a president or whatever, says we need to do something to protect our people here. So those that are empowered by the church mm-hmm. to be the authority, they don't bear the nine millimeter in vain. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I guess you could give them swords too. If you right, to because they've been given authority from the spiritual leader of that church saying protect our people physically. Just as much as a government. Again, it's an authority established by God. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Mm. The father gave him the authority. And then he has invested in authority in governments. Yeah. And in the home and the family and in the church. But at the same time, if you're a pastor and you're going, should we do this? And you really distinctly feel like God has said not to do that. Right. Then by all means, follow what you feel like the Lord's telling you to do it. Because again, it's love is nuanced. And in your, in your unique yeah. congregation situation, he may be saying, I don't want that for you. Yeah. Which and if is, it's if it's if it's in your conscience to that it would be wrong, then it is wrong. And Paul talks about that, which is weird because we think, well, it's either right or it's wrong. No, if it's wrong for you, then it's if you sense in your heart it's wrong for you, it's wrong for you. But it might be right for somebody else. So the key is you got to be just got to hold back your judgments of what everybody else says. You know, we're not talking about blatant right and wrong sin here, but as you say, there are nuanced things, things that are right for me, but may not be right for you. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this with your friends on the platform of your choice. For more from Joel Malm, visit joelmalm.com. For more from Rick Malm, visit rickmalm.com. Our podcast music was produced by Alex Burleson.